We are interrupting your normal snooze fest and generic programming for the real stories of African-American traditional music and the black experience. What's going on, what's going on, what's going on, and welcome to We the Blues People with Marquise Knox and Lamar Jack Dapper Blues. What's happening, brother? What's going on with you, Jack Dapper? You know what's going on. We speak about this every day, pretty much all day and every time we speak. We got a little situation brewing here. We the Blues People must address this. So, so for those who are new to the program... We the Blues people is is all is, is is considered the Black Caucus of the Blues. <laughs> you know, and, and we hold caucus, we hold forum about what's going on with the Blues people, the Blues culture, and in this case, the gentrification of the Blues. And we're going to start this off and now. Again, for those of you who are unaware, one of the main reasons we felt it uh, extremely necessary to have this discussion was based off a recent open letter written by Chris Thomas King, right? And That's right. And, uh, and anybody who haven't seen that, we're gonna when we post this, we'll be posting a link to several articles so you all can check them out. That's right. That's right. And I, I think with that being said, let's jump into it. I, I, I really want to start this with a quote from Brother Corey Harris from an article he pinned on his blog, Blues is Black Music. Uh, the article is called, Can White People Play the Blues? And there's something he said that was extremely poignant. And it was, uh, the blues was the voice of black people's lives. It still is. The only difference is that it never stood still. It had never stopped evolving and changing. Whatever happened to black people happened in the music. And with that being said, let's jump right into it, brother. Yes, sir. The blues, the blues has always been a part of the... Or the struggle, and um, and I believe I believe it was inside the same article. Corey Harris was pretty much saying, you know, how much struggle, how much suffrage does a person have to have because how people uh, classify our music as if one must suffer uh, a great deal to really understand with the blues. But when you're born black, you're born with it, mm. and, and that's absolutely the truth. So I guess with that. You want to jump in? Let's jump into Chris Thomas King. Um, his Talk about his article and, and why, actually, not just what he penned. I think what's more important is why he felt it necessary to write this open letter, right? Right. I would think like most guys, um, like him, I'm not as uh, well-known or as famous as Chris Thomas. But but what we do understand is that after being in this game a certain amount of time, you you start seeing how the doors open up for some, and they they may crack open for you. Not necessarily open all the way, but just enough for you to slip in and be forced back out. 
And so I think that's why he he written that article because he he knew uh, what part of the fitness he was dealing with. He's in the high echelons of this game that we in. So if a guy like him is just calling people uh, to view what is going on with the blues and with conscious, well, we must really take heed to what he's saying. Absolutely. And matter of fact, let me just tell the people the name of this article. Bluesman Chris Thomas King says he's been banned from the Grammys, right? So this is the reason why he pinned this. And what ended up happening, um, to Brother Marquise's point, his name was taken off of uh, the best contemporary blues album Grammy nomination list, right? Uh, removed from all blues categories, for that matter. Um, and, and actually, before we go into the specific things he spoke about, let's just talk about that for a minute. And I want to ask you a question, because a couple of people, blues musicians and 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 black blues musicians and, and, and black bluesmen, right? I, I make a distinction because uh, musicians, professional, this is what they get paid to do. Bluesmen, we, we, we play blues locally around the town and stuff like this. Right. Um, a few brothers reached out to me and the one problem that I, or, or maybe not problem the one thing that that stood out to them was the album that was uh taken off of the the nomination list uh i think i believe it's called hotel voodoo is not necessarily a blue wouldn't be considered a blues album now, these are brothers saying this, and one of the issues that he mentions is that it doesn't meet uh, uh, their, meaning the Grammy folks, notions of authenticity. So now we got, we have the, 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 the white gate, gatekeepers saying it's not blues, and we have current practitioners saying he got like two, three blues cuts on it, but it's not a blues album. How does that play into this? Well, I, I think if, if they, if they just go back to, you know, when me and you first start talking, if we allow people to redefine what is our blue, then they can always define it to fit, uh, or get a description that doesn't fit us. Mm. And um, uh, going back to what uh, I, Chick Willis and and to uh, Corey Harris, it blues is an evolving uh, thing. It doesn't stay the same. And so this has been the argument for those who have played rock on top of the blues. They say, well, blues have evolved. So it uh, it, it isn't just the traditional one, four, five, or uh, twelve bar blues. That, that it involved, it evolved into what we make it or what the sound like now. And then on the flip side, to say that this man who didn't, it may not have been all the way straight ahead, they had blues, but it had blues in it. It had a blues feel. And it definitely was that change in which folks talk about uh, uh, evolving. And for it to be uh, a Sean, it just goes back to we have no control over the narrative. Right. Right, because the, the the real question I'm getting to is who has the right to to make claim to what is blues and what isn't? Is it 
the 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 white enthusiasts and scholarly writers and Grammy board position holders, or is it the people it comes from? I was never got to be the people that, that it comes from because nobody will will never understand what it's like. Uh, think about our brother, I believe, was up in Minnesota, uh, who was there uh, working at the school, and he had his gun on him, and he let the officer know, and the officer still shot him. That's the blues. Yeah. In order to know what that's like, uh, what the blues is, you have to understand what it, what are our fears as being here in America. Uh, what 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 sets us off? Why why do we sit up straight when when we see a cop car, even if it's going the opposite direction? It puts something inside your psyche that you cannot explain, and that which you cannot explain is the blues. It is that it is that raw essence of being black in America. So that would let uh, describing the blues and saying what is the blues would have to be left up to those who still experience the blues. Right. And, and, and I'm happy you brought that up for the simple fact that, as you see, uh, one of, and he he mentions this, Chris Thomas King mentioned it, well, all three gentlemen speak about this, but but they didn't say it in this way. Uh, but I, I've been in, in, in heated debates, not against our brothers, but they've been, we've been sided against people trying to tell us how the blues has evolved, and what I'm what I'm getting to is this this theory, this 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 statement that there's no black, there's no white, it's just the blues. That many white guys said this. Again, audience, we're not being divisive. We're just telling a butt naked blues truth. Okay, that's right. That the blue, and, and this is the part that really kills me. Yes, the blues did start out black. It did come from black people, but it's not with black people anymore. And that's bull crap. Yep. There are so many black modern day practitioners. And if you want to break it down to pre-war, post-war, Chicago, electric, however you want to term the many different variations of blues people's expressions, there are a multitude of us still doing this. But statements like it used it started out black, but right now it is not anymore, that actually polarizes what Chris Thomas King is talking about, right? The gentrification of the blues and the defacing, refacing of the blues festivals that Corey Harris spoke about. Right. And even Chick Willis, you know, I'm glad you mentioned Chick Willis explained that how they come in and gave us the different kind of blues, whether it's Chicago blues, whether it's Delta blues, whether it was Piedmont Hill. And and he said it in his article, he said, well, he said, I could be a, a, a Delta chick. I could be Chicago uh, a chick. A Willis, I could be a, a, a Kansas chick Willis, but at the end of the day, it still would be the blues. That's the truth, yeah. <laughs> Coming from the blues people. Coming <laughs> from the blues people. So it's hard to say that anything that we make isn't the blues. Uh, to borrow a Vastar, I have to go find this uh, this this quote from Vastar Jackson because Vastar said something today. Um, I mean, that just really sums it up. And he was just reminding us that through the many phases of life, all the blues ever did was take on uh, a new form within the black community. 
and that is something and that, um, that the old style was very nostalgia for a white suit, uh, Chris Harris said, Corey Harris said, for whites who wasn't even around us or wanted to do, have anything to do with us at the time. Well, see, and that's my thing. That, that term nostalgia, because it is nostalgic for them. And I hate to bring this into this conversation, but we are the blues people. And, and right now, we're, we're actually currently in a direct reflection of, of Jim Crow and the antebellum South, where we're having people uh, uh, saying, make America great again. This is that nostalgia of, of the of, of quote-unquote, country and pre, pre-war blues that, that these people have, right? And, yeah. talk, and we spoke about this off day. We speak about this all the time. This celebration, and, and, and I, I mean, you and I can celebrate it because we live through it, but, but the celebration of juke joints and, and, and hot suppers and liquor houses and all these things. And, you know, people... We're getting hurt. There was a lot of things going on in these places that a lot of people don't want to remember. And we don't even have to talk about violence. Uh, a lot of people, their marriages broke up in these places. Yeah. You yeah. know, and, and, and I'm quite sure it, they weren't on some, I don't give a damn about that. They were hurt. <laughs> you know, it, yeah. so, so the nostalgia that they bring... It, has to to me is equivalent to, to to bring the statement full circle. It's equivalent to when you, when you hear folks say "Make America Great Again" or better yet, uh, what was that television show that that came on some years ago, uh, Mad Men? That show was was nostalgic of the power of of white men in in corporate America. Or as the good book says, singles a song of Zion, so we may remember. Okay. <laughs> you know we can go there. <laughs> you know we can take it there. You know, but in search of the blues, white visions, black voices, right? I can't think of this woman's name. I'm going to find her name right now. Beth Hamilton wrote this, right? And, and what she was speaking about, now, mind you, I have to make this disclaimer. I have to make this disclaimer because you and I are speaking not just from from literacy of reading, but firsthand experiences. Right? We're we're like fifth, sixth generation of this. Exactly. Okay. And, and, and I, I'm making that clear because there's so many of these tight pants wearing "quote unquote" scholarly intellects that that write their PhD articles or whatever journals about our culture and then they will argue us down in regards of thinking that they can express or convey our traditions better than we can. You know, in the process of us having this conversation and we may be pulling different references, but we don't necessarily have, and I'm talking to you guys as the audience me and Brother Marquise don't necessarily have to pull references from these people's books. And I'm not talking about Brother Corey Chick or, 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 or Brother Chris Thomas King. I'm talking about these other authors that we speak about. Because for the most part, my granddaddy's uncle's mama, we get firsthand experience. Back to the point at hand. I had to say that, bro. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. These things have to be, be talked about because... I used to tell people, you know, that's one reason why I like to read. 
I like to read about, you know, uh, different takes on what is going on with the psychology of America, the, the history, the struggle of America. And sometimes we can come off the cuff with our feeling and people necessarily will argue about the way we feel. Now, okay, now you can argue about the feeling, but you cannot argue about the fact. There you go. There you go. <laughs> there you go. And that's why I brought up Beth Hamilton's book, In Search of the Blues, Black Voices, White Visions, because her whole theory was this concept and construct of what the blues is and was that we're still seeing, excuse me, being played out today was a nostalgic look or a nostalgic take on black life by white men and women who reminisced of the antebellum South when blacks knew their place. Mm. You know, we don't ever want to bring in anyone in who don't want to talk about it, and we don't ever want to talk about those that's out there doing it just to provide for themselves. Right. It's a thin line between, okay, if you know uh, that something is wrong, then we must uh, voice our opinion about it. And especially something as dear to us as our heritage. You know, and when I sit here, when we, when you, man, you was talking about doing this podcast this morning, and you were sending me the links back and forth, I thought about something inside of Chicks. He said, uh, you know, by the time these folks, these young white kids find out that they was duped, that, that they think it's about making money. And he said, and it's not about making money. He said, those who could have told them the truth will be dead. Yeah. Lazy Lester's gone. You know, that's a guy who I come up underneath. Pontop Perkins, Honey Boy, Henry Townsend, Louisiana Red. These are people that I know personally. Uh, you know, they're gone. Robert, Robert Lockwood Jr., they're gone. And so what, what's going to happen in 20 years? Okay, mm. when Rick Gray is gone, Bobby Rush, I mean, we're just saying because of age, Lord don't know how long any of us going to be here. Right, well, I mean, Leo Bud Welch just passed on. Russell right. Long ago. So when we look at these, look at these numbers of the, at the age and add 20 years to that, who will be representing blackness inside of a what used to be a dominant black field? Who's going to represent the history? Who's going to represent the culture that's black? Because of the, the Kenny Nils or Bob, Bobby, uh, I mean, Michael Burks is dead. Right. You know, so right. that leaves Larry McCray, uh, uh, Mike Willard, and the guys are such. And some of these guys are getting on. I mean, they're not, they middle-aged now. 25, 30 years add on until they will definitely be old guys. Because right. I won't be getting to be a middle-aged man at that point. Well, I, I am a middle-aged man. <laughs> I mean, we, you know, we still, we still, but to your point, I, I, I must say for those of you who are listening, Make sure you get down to Bentonia and speak to Jimmy Duck Holmes because he's still alive. Get down to Mississippi, speak to Mr. Gip. You know, try to find Jock Webb in Alabama. If you're in the New York area, oh, well, this guy travels all over the place, but find Guy Davis. You know, find Dietra Farr. And the reason why I say Dietra Farr, because for the most part, you and I have been speaking about mostly men. And if we as black men are getting pillaged and gentrified, hmm. our sisters in blues is getting it. No, you know it. But they, they, um, I'm glad you mentioned Dietra Farr, because this is somebody who's a household uh, stakeholder in the blues that's a woman. That's right. And 
when our queens as such, and she's a blues queen, and when these women are, are no longer uh, receiving the accolade and the recognition that they have given up a career, I mean, they, they didn't have to be blues people, and none, no blues person had to be a blues entertainer, but that's how you know you find a real blues person once they sacrifice a livelihood to create a music as such and to uphold a tradition. Well, whether they plan it or be black or whether they plan it like Sir Charles Jones. Right. Playing, are they singing like Bobby Jones, the gospel man? Are they are they singing like a Charles? Tommy Dorsey. Right, right. Tommy Dorsey or any of these guys. I mean, so it's like uh, uh, this is the uh, I'm glad you brought that up. Our black women are, 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 are dealing with something, especially those who don't have a band. Oh, come on now. <laughs> come on now. That's something. See, I don't have a band. It's just me and a guitar. But but those in this day and age, there are, I don't want to say so few, but there are fewer black musicians ready to take it to a level of playing behind Marquise Knox, behind uh, uh, Dietra Farr. So, so, and I'm not discrediting the white brothers that play behind you guys because, look, Chick Willis said it. There's some white folk that they, they get it musically, right? So I, I'm, we're not saying that. But to, 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 have a, to have a band, you know, what was impressive to me about Muddy and, 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 and Howlin' Wolf, you know, they had an all-black band. Yes. You know, they had dudes playing behind them, you know, that that was 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 premier musicians that found a niche, found found a sound. Yep. You know, we kind of got away from that. However, the reason we got away from that was the same reason the blues skyrocketed in a, in, in a black community is the way hip hop you know, skyrocket in the black community. It was lack of resources. It's all relevant. Like Dr. John Henry, Henry Clark said, everything is everything. From the first rock that was skipped by the first child in the, in the lake, it, it influenced every current of water, body of water that we find. So mm. we just have to look at it all like that. I mean, even when we very off topic, I mean, it, it is all still connected because the only way for the people to get a clear understanding of what we're talking about, they must submerge themselves into the idea of the of blackness of the blues and understand what it is. And if you don't understand the, the heartache and the struggle and the pain, uh, then it's just going to be hard for you to understand where we're coming from. It's like, and I will say this, any person who feel like kneeling, it's a disrespect to the flag. See, that's an opinion that you can have and you can hold and you put... Uh, possibly be right upon because that's your conviction. Right. And all we say, this is our conviction about our heritage. And no, we don't we don't want our, our blues to be played by Nazi loving white supremacists the way they may grab an American flag and sew it together with their flag and walk around town. All we saying is when we see that the blues is being compromised then we must speak up whether we can change it or not. It doesn't make a difference if we can, uh, if me and you have the tools to go out here and overnight change what is happening in the blues. Long as we stood up and spoke out during the time that it was going on, so there could be a, a some kind of counter argument 
to the movement that is going on. Because like I said, in, in 25 years, you know, this is going to be uh, uh, not only just for the blues, but for black entertainment. Who's all together. Yeah, who's going to be I like, okay, you know, who's going to be representing black culture that's famous? Because they discrediting everybody. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're, they're changing the faces the same way they did in, 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 in all those Moses and Ten Commandment movies. Right. <laughs> or Cleopatra, you know. Right. <laughs> Cleopatra, but when she pull up the wrong... She got a she got a black woman, a, a pitch black black face of a woman on a ship. Come on now, <laughs> you know. And see that you bring up something. Politics in the blues is actually extremely important because, in the same breath, that the majority of folks are saying it's not black, it's not white, it's just blues. On the same breath, they're saying it started with black people but it's not that way anymore these are some of the same people that subscribe to to right wing rhetoric but yet they're playing the blues that's almost the biggest insult outside of the appropriation altogether that is now all this but you know this is something that has to be you know going back to we don't how we don't want to put people on the spot but no we don't we have to use our influence. Um, I'll go back to somebody who we who we who we listened to a, a young lady, Miss Car Miss Cornell. She was talking about uh, Martin Luther King blowing his political capital on uh, the Vietnam speech, and a lot of people felt like that wasn't his place to be speaking on that. But when you uh, when you operate not only just in your blackness, but your blackness has a spirit. Your blackness has a guiding force. And that guiding force, if it can stand up for the humanity of yourself, it'll make you stand up for the humanity of somebody else. But in this instance, what it's saying is we cannot afford in this day and age where everybody is clinging to their nationality, they're clinging to their heritage, they're clinging to their culture. Now, we know our nationality is American, but that's only through by what hardship. Now, right. you know, I'm a St. I'm a I'm a I'm a St. Louis, and uh, a Missourian, and you're a New Yorker. That's only because of our hardship. But other than that, we have no claims to nothing. We have no identity or no memory or no remembrance of anything of yesterday. So we have to hold on to the blues as if we was holding <clears throat> to Mama's hand or daddy's hand as they were snatching them and selling them to a plantation in another fucking state. Well, that is the blues. And you're absolutely, <laughs> and you're absolutely right. And, and that's, that's the problem. That's the problem. It's, it's, it's beyond appropriation at this point. It's rewriting a narrative yet again to fit someone else's story rather than the people that the story it happened to and the people who hold dear to this story because you know what you're a billion percent right but it's not like it is holding on to mama's hand right you know i think of bill withers grandma hand that's the blues Definitely. you know and and, and i want to say look i'll put it this way speaking of Corey harris the process of him and i talking uh actually i think we were doing the interview i i, I can't 
remember when we had this conversation, but he likens the blues equivalent to the inventions of black people in the 17, 1800s to get their freedom, but they still, one, wasn't free, and still, two, they had no ownership of that invention. Nope. Right, so... They're still owned by somebody else. Right. Right. So, so, so it's almost as whatever we create on this land, or at least in this world at this point in time, does not belong to us. Because if we want to get into the business side of things, you and I have spoken about this way before Dr. Umar even said it, and I'm not even throwing him under the bus because I'm happy, to your point, Brother Marquise, that somebody on that platform said it out in the open. We are the biggest producers of music uh, uh, content, yet we get the least of the finances and royalties of this industry. Yep. So, I mean, that's across the board. But so now with something that's fully black, the first American uh, music recognized to be that the first freed African-American expression, right? Because prior to the emancipation, what you had with slave seculars, you had black spirituals, you had seal hollers, you had corn ditties, you had corn shucking, uh, uh, string music, string bands and all these things, even ragtime. Once Reconstruction happened, you start getting blues songs for several reasons, right? One reason because now we're not working in unison in the field, you have sharecropping and farming. So we're singing by ourselves. We have we're, we're traveling more, et cetera, et cetera. Not to mention the hardships and the societal changes right. where we're singing about free black problems rather enslaved than enslaved. Right. So, so this concept of of it not being black anymore, this concept of someone else dictating what it is when it's actually the first freed expression is ridiculous. Yeah. Now the blues is, so we can always try to reference back to these articles we've been reading. Corey Harris put in his article, let us know that it was a blues English term because it was just, it was, they were just trying to figure out, uh, as he put it, he said, you know, it was scaring them. So Corey Harris had let us know in his article that even in slavery time, that the worst of slave masters, when they heard those uh, primal calls and those moans and those groans from the slaves, they had to come and check it out. They brought their friends with them. And so then Chick Willis said in his article that he remember him himself being a young man, been inside a club full of black people, and he would walk outside, and there would be 50 cars lined up, none of the white kids on top of the hood listening at the music. And so that goes to show you even like their, their grandparents, or great-grandparents, there's a certain draw that brings them to the blues and it brings them to us. And but it, but it's the and, and the reason why they're able to come to the blues now. But the only problem with coming to the blues now, they not necessarily want to come see us. And then not necessarily even in R and B. If Babyface, if BB King can get more people in the arena than Babyface can get black people, that's a problem. Yeah. Well, no, you're right. And I mean, just for as an example, I think of Adele, the vocalist from uh, overseas. She's British or, or something like that, right? 
and um, she was killing them. And, and what people don't realize, her first single, We Could Have Had It All, yep. that, was, that was a 12-bar Texas Blue Shuffle. Yep. You know, so, that, and I'll only bring that up to your point of they don't want to see us. And to Chick's point that you mentioned earlier, because there is a disconnect, because when you speak to all the white folk, whether they like black people or not, they know what the blues is. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and they will, and they're gonna love those who bring that feeling. Right now, that's right. Oh, not <laughs> that's right. That's right. But because there's such a disconnect, and I blame the late '50s through the mid '60s. That was the shift. Now we have rock, and, and this, you know, we can go back to Chris Thomas King with his statement of how Mick Jagger and Keith Richardson and how they won traditional blues album of the year, last year, of this yep. year. I also want to touch on something else from his article that um, is prevalent to what you mentioned Chick and, and Corey said, because if we, if we don't be careful, it will not only be a disconnect, but it'll be a rewritten narrative. So I'm just going to read this off and then just chime in. He goes, I will point to a dangerous new book published in 2017, The Original Blues, The Emergence of the Blues in African-American Vaudeville, excuse me, by Lynn Abbott and Doug Siroff, a book which claims blackface performers originated the blues. Now, I mean, and you got some black folk su subscribing to this bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The book I'm reading, uh, The Investment, of, the, the Possess of Investment in Whiteness, it talks about how if you think uh, white supremacy is just white people, then you don't understand white supremacy. Mm, okay, now. And that you have to understand that there are, there are those that are of color who have been afforded that position and they know what that position brings, and they will do any and everything to make sure you don't get that position. And those we call gatekeepers. Right. And the original name for the gatekeeper was the house Negro. Oh, my goodness. Because he, <laughs> he, 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 he'll sit on the porch and tell, the, tell when rain coming and tell when ain't nobody picking no cotton. <laughs> no, that's right. You, 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 Febo too busy picking out that guitar. He's right. <laughs> Look at them. They out there filling the round. <laughs> no sub, Mouse. Are we feeling bad today or are we feeling good? Because he don't know how to feel. Right. Now, see, oh, bro, right there. And, and this, we, we, we getting biblical right now because... Oh, obviously, along with the skill, technique, and master craftsmanship uh, or craftswomanship uh, of the blues comes the ultimate feel. And I think that's what was what I received the, the, the point that you were, were speaking when you mentioned about Corey Harris saying even the hardest uh, 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 the slave masters had to come down and, and, and try to identify what they're experiencing because it's the feel of the spirit. Yep. Now, there's something that we have to discuss. Of course, all three brothers mentioned it, but I, I want to approach it from Chick Willis because you and I, as, as African-American men, as indigenous men, as black men, 
identify with it in regards to being blues people and someone telling us about our culture and how we should appreciate this down the third. But Chick takes it a step further when he's like, these young white players talk to me as if they know more about my life than I do. And I'm 72 years deep in this. Mm. And he told him no matter how many, how many seven eights and old records you listen to, you'll never understand it. And then another, and that is something that that I always call you and we debate about is when on these forums sometimes when we allow them to just only make us debate or uh, we only debate about or uh, only concern about the record. Right. The record is the product of the living. Right. And the living had to go through circumstances to give you that which is the blue. And Come so on. what they went through is, is, is I'm not discrediting or taking away from the music because that is the heritage, that is that is the, the focal point that has let us know of what was going on that keeps us in line with them, but also at the same time for something to turn as many people on as the blues did, a quote-unquote blues, as it did from uh, Bessie Smith, Mom Rainey, Sylvia Spike, even um, uh, Leslie, that you love. Geechee Wiley, right. uh, Memphis Minnie. Memphis Minnie. Memphis Minnie has the biggest catalog next to Petey Weestraw, not for nothing, but go ahead. No, but, it, but it's the truth. And, and Petey Weestraw, now we're talking about a St. Louis man. That's why I told him on my post, I'm a St. Louis man, baby. <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, well, I'm trying to let them know that we, the blues isn't it, it isn't about what we record, but what we went through that made us sing what we recorded. That's right. That's right. Now, if I sung to you and, and let you know uh, that um, I like to use that old muddy water phrase that I found. You know, he was on on the well, he was on stage with Willie Dixon. Then he was talking about the days of old. And I use that to test my mic. If time don't get no better, down the road I'm gone. Those phrases, that lets you know what the blues is. That lets you know what the essence is. Right. You don't understand that. You don't understand the blues. But no. why did I tell you if time don't get no better, down the road I'm gone. No, it's real. It's one hundred percent. You just started to um, bring up this topic in this way and use these articles because we have to let the people know. Like folks are writing about it. Chick Willis is dead. Corey Harris is still living. Chris Thomas King is still living. So two out of three are living, and they are giving you all three give you a living experience of the blue. The oldest one said that by the time you recognize it. Those who really could tell you going to be dead, and and Chick Willis is one of those guys who could have told us because he mentioned Zora Young, Lazy Lester. Come on, you know what I'm saying? He, he mentioned uh, Big Walter. He mentioned so many people, and when he mentioned Lazy Lester, that's how I knew he was connected. Right, he did so much for me as an artist. You know, put his arms around me and just you know just let me know, Marquis. Baby, you part of the branch, and you are going to be the leaves that bear fruits 
for our people to feed on. And you must know that we appreciate you taking the mantle, taking the tradition, and running with it. And some other tough things that they told me about what they see as, as going on with the music, a lot of them have told me, they, you know, they say we, we, we love them, the white boys. He said, but they don't know, they don't quite understand it. Right. Well, see, because for them, it's a technical. I don't want to say that. That's a blanket statement. We're right, because we want to keep it as minute. Right, right, right. Well, but it, it, yeah, it, it, it's a difference. It's a difference. It's a difference. And one of the proponents of that mindset in this day and age is the blues societies. It's the blues clubs. It's, it's, it's the, the international blues challenge. You know, they, they kind of taken the mindset of old white ethnomusicologists and folklorists and they applied it to, to modern day marketing, you know, and it's almost the same. The issue becomes now you're not exploiting black people, but you're exploiting black music and allowing white musicians the financial pinnacle of black music where the rest of us you know what I'm saying? We we still try we we try to pay insurance. That's right. And Corey Abbott told he said, you know, I wrote this quote down. He said, "Those who dislike this topic will defend their privilege to play the music, and will fight like a prospector going his claim to native land." That's right. That's this right. Was our, this is our territory. We had nothing. We had we had nothing. Even when natives had uh, territory, we had nothing. Even when we had farms in North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Mississippi, when we acquired land, we had nothing because when those militias and those mobs and we and you to come and run down on us, they ran us off of our lands. And you know, I, I must chime in and give the people some some accurate history on that. I'm happy you. I'm really happy you brought that up because it, it goes to these statements that our political pundits and leaders, and, and as well as those who gentrify the blues, say, you know, pull yourself up on the bootstrap and all this bull crap. During this 40 acre and the mule deal that they they, they say that we've gotten, what what happened? in South Carolina and those places during Reconstruction was the worst of the worst part of the land is what was given to black farmers. So they could not toil the land. They could not grow anything. So what they ended up having to, this, is, this was the birth of what many of our forefathers that were in the blues, well, shit, my granddaddy and his 15 siblings and, and parents, they were farmers and sharecroppers in Belrose, Louisiana, right? They got the worst of the land. They could not produce because the land was so jacked up that they were given. However, they were, just like most of the black people from this era, though the land was effed up, it's mine. However, mm -hmm. what they had to do was partner with a white person who either had better land 
or the money for them to get the best out of a bad situation that they can in, in, in that on that particular land. And this is this was the birth of sharecropping. So so now you're free, but you're 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 a slave to debt. Yep. A majority of 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 our our forefathers and mothers in, in the blues come out out of sharecropping. You know, so I just wanted to throw that out there. Some of them was ran off the bad land, but those who was not ran off the land, they wasn't ran off the land because they were given the least productive of the soil. When you talk about that, my my dad, grandfather, these guys, him and his brother come from out of, I believe it's out of Connecticut. And now we're getting into the old states, the old territory. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and and my 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 uncle, my dad brother, my oldest oldest brother explained to me my inversion. My inversion explained to me how they come down south, the two brothers, and they acquired this land. And then, you know, one brother died and my grandfather, you know, he keeps going. So, you know, granddaddy has his land. And Marco Jack, who was my grandmother's oldest son. My daddy's brother, he come up in a time, my grandmother was born in 43, no, granddaughter was born in what, no, 42. So my, my dad was born in 42, and my uncle, he was born probably like 56, 57, somewhere along that line. All right. They, they had had that land for so long, but even as he was coming up as a kid, they had to clear a lot of that land. Mm. So now they had land with trees. You know, they sold them a lot of wood land, you know, a little agriculture land, a lot of wood land. Now they are bringing lumber down because you got to have the lumber. You cannot be foolish enough not to have lumber in them days because you got to, everything was by the wood. Right. You warm by it. So, and bringing a lot of that down, where well, you get enough lumber killer, well, you got stumps in the, in the ground. Right. And my uncle would tell me his job all day long would get with his youngest uh, uncle, who would be my great uncle. You know, this is some deep shit. Get with the youngest of the youngest, and y'all out here digging around the stumps. That's right. Stump. I mean, you, you know, you ain't got time to wait for the stump to will it. That's right. It got to go. Today or by tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so this make a hard life. Oh, yeah. This make it. Then go back to, you know, Red Fox. You know, when we was, you know, we had we had hit on blackface. Red Fox, the reason why he would give his producers so much hell because when he first started in comedy with that guy called Bowlegs, uh, they made them wear blackface. And for a long time, he had to put that on his face. And so by the time he was able to take it off and show the world, here is Red Fox. He made sure the world understood this is Red Fox. That's right. That's right. See, that's bro. And, and that's the issue that I'm having with, with with this book, and I'm happy Chris Thomas King brought it up because it was not the invention of the blues. 
Jones. It was the fact that minstrel and vaudeville, because of society, was the only way black entertainers could make money. However, prior to minstrels, it wasn't no shucking and jiving. It was just a traveling act. You know, and I'm sorry, I get real emotional when it comes <laughs> to menstruals. And, and I get even more emotional for them to, 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 to minimize what the, what the blues represents. Right. As, as you and I discussed, the first free expression of freed blacks. Yep. And can I just one-up that statement? Yes. It wasn't just the first freed expression of first freed blacks, but it was the first free expression of freed blacks during one of the most violent times in America perpetrated against black folk. The amount of people that were lynched from 1880 to 1905. Oh, and the amount of people that was led into the um, America. And at the same time, mm. those Folks who was led into this country because at one time we was almost more than our oppressors. This That's has right. to be talked about. That's right. That's you're right. At one time we and even in slavery, even even with them oppressing us, we was almost more in number. So when you introduce this atrocity, you know you're not even ramping up the killing. And the reason why you know that the killing was violent, I was reading a, a, a passage. And it said, like, the productivity of cotton was like, you know, maybe somebody may pick 20 pounds a day. Right. You know, 10 pounds. It's cotton, man. You know, it's first working with it. Right. But by the time they got through whipping, beating, brutalizing slaves, freeing them, introducing sharecropping, my grandmother... And her brother and them was able to pick four and five hundred pounds a day like it wasn't nobody bidding them. You understand? Ooh, you took And that was without anybody beating them. Right. That's right. in the Right. That's the DNA. That's in something you cannot change. Right. So now see, and you speak about something that kind of explains the gentrification of the blues as well as the gentrification of our neighborhoods and how they're omitting and suppressing the black voice when it comes to this. Because now we've always been hardworking people because agriculture ain't, ain't no walk in the park, no pun intended. <laughs> you know, that's, that's a hard thing to do. But now you're talking about one person being able to produce X amount of bales of cotton by themselves. Right. So now with, with that drive, and then being able to take that and 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 and, and build a community in a, a, a town, and and these these men and women like Ma Rainey, let's use her for an example. Her and her old man was able to build an entertainment company off that work ethic. Yep, of that same work ethic, and that's the same thing that. When we get on the stage and they try to imitate what we do, they lose the voice. Right. We're just doing it. Ah, ah. You know, like, what the hell? What are they doing? What is that? <laughs> who, who makes that voice? That's right. That ain't, that ain't what that ain't what the man said. He said, mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you know, my, my dad, mother, 
Uh, uh, like I said, she was born in the 40s. She died in, in 2014. Uh, she always hummed. You know, when you get through talking to Granny, and, and you know, and this old wit, you know, what well, it's 35, 40 seconds, Granny said that. That's right. <laughs> well, <laughs> and that, you know, that, it ain't got nothing to do with anything. No, no, it, it's just the exclamation of the exclamation. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it has to come out. But see, this is what I'm talking about. All right, we're about to bring this episode to a close, and I think this is the most powerful thing to close on. I would like you to chime in. You know, you could speak to, you could stop a, a black person indigenous to this land that their roots started in the South and they moved up to St. Louis or, or Chicago and Detroit and, and then all over the New York or, or, or the Los Angeles and, and Oklahoma. They all going to tell you the same thing. Grandmama, mama in the kitchen. Or, or granddaddy, oh. Baby. You know, all these different sounds that had nothing to do with nothing that's just coming out. Yeah. That's the experience that they're trying, and when I say they, and please, audience, understand we're not being disrespectful to white people. We're speaking about how the, the narrative is, is not being presented properly. Let's get that straight. But those sounds... That's been 13,000 uh, uh, 120 or uh, 40,000 a semester. You understand what we're trying to tell you. Exactly. There you go. You said it. That, there you go. You understand? Every time I play a Peter Weistrow song in the house, my wife come running in and she's like, my grandmama used to sing like that around the house. You know, I, I, I play some house all the time. My daughter, who's, wow, she's about to be 10. Her favorite song is Howl of Wolf. Ah, smokestack lightning. Right. You know what I'm saying? She get her little shoulder stuff going, you know, and all this stuff was in our households. The actions, you know, the, 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 my grandfather's nickname was Uncle Licker, and that's my grandfather from Mississippi. Yep. With all that being said, and I'm going to say this, and this comes from Brother Corey Harris. Now, I'm, I would like you to close for, for this episode because, you know, we got to come back and finish this one off. But, but right. this is what Brother Corey Harris says in, in this article that you and I have been talking about. There would be no blues without black people. And black people still set the standard by which all other players and singers are measured. Yeah, because... Who's Bruno Mars inspired by? Ooh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there it is. The exclamation of the exclamation. We're going to run with that. <laughs> we can cut the video off right now. <laughs> Come on. I mean, but yeah, there it is. Buddy Holly. People. Who they love, or we love, sometimes you, you, when you run it back, and you'd be surprised, public enemy. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, Scarface. That was done in, in the original gangster rap and all this stuff, you know, with Tupac and all these guys, Ice Cubes. You know, man, come on. Yeah. You know, this still still in the, uh, being inside our line, but 
when you step out outside of it, you take uh, Jerry Lee Lewis. I mean, he has to admit that he was inspired uh, somewhat by Chuck Berry to be that electrifying. Right. Or some black pastor. That's right. I was doing a folk festival with um, Phil Wiggins. We Brother was, Phil. We was doing, we was in Richmond. And then we was uh, with this with this guy, I believe his name Dale Richardson, the old country, the country player. He moved from Austin to Memphis. Okay. And he had his cousin there. And his cousin was the real deal. Now, Dale the real, real deal. His cousin, the real, 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 real deal. Okay. <laughs> this white guy, this white man come up there, and it was no holes bar. Mm. He was letting the real white culture hang out. I said, I bet you when white folks were having a good time with us, I said, it wasn't like they do in the club. I said, even though they show signs of it, I said, it had to be like this fella right here because they was actually talking about church songs. Mm-hmm. And in the middle of the, of, the, of the program, he hollered out, well, one of the best church songs I happened to hear was Big Legged Mama. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't got well, I don't know what he is. Okay, now. <laughs> and, and you know what? You're going to stop it on that one because we have to, when we do the follow-up to this one, we want to address black, white, and the blues, a racial politics of blues music in the 60s. And in that, we're going to continue addressing our three brothers' uh, articles, but we, we want to bring in on the tail end of that, which you just ended this with, gospel, the black spirituals, because that seems to be left out of the equation with non-knowing people of the music and the culture, right? Because black spirituals have a lot to do with the blues. That's where all the, and you said it earlier, that's where all the inflections come from. So good people, we're going to give you guys a follow-up. We happy y'all hung out with us. We happy brother Marquise Knox hung out with us. Come on now, we the blues people. Just let the people know that we're going to always bring you the truth despite what you hear. And we're going to always obtain, uh, uh, uphold the culture and let people know what it is and how it is and where you can find it. <laughs> That's right. Find it today because we're practitioners of it. We still have the birthright? That's right. We still got the birthright of the blues. We haven't sold it. Ha, there you go.